Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. This is episode number 42 with the author and marriage coach, Suzanne Venker. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. Hey guys. Okay. I posted an article recently called six things women need to know about men. And it got a lot of response. So I thought I would take the time to do it in video form. So here it goes. Six things women need to know about men. Number one, men are easy to please and quick to forgive. This is important, especially when it comes to conflict understanding that men have very few needs. They're simple as in not stupid the way the media would have you to believe, have you believe, but simple as in they have far fewer needs than we women do. What they want most of all is respect first and foremost, companionship, affection, appreciation, support. I mean, that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. And so respect, here's what respect looks like. Cause a lot of people really have asked me like, what does it look like to respect a man? Which is really horrible and sad because that means they haven't really seen it in action enough to even recognize it. But anyway, here it is. Number one, most important thing, this may not come to mind first and foremost, but it, it, it's bigger than you think. Listening, just listening, not interrupting, not over talking not interjecting, not any of those things, just sitting there and listening. You're actually saying a lot when you're saying nothing. Let me say that again. You're actually saying a lot when you're saying nothing. He reads that as respect, which it is because you're taking in what he's saying rather than thinking of what you're going to say in response. And that goes very, 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 very far with a man. Another thing that I have to remind people of, because it's really, really easy to forget when you've been married a long time, especially, is the power of affection. And and when I'm talking about affection here, I'm not talking about sex, although obviously that's that's also important. But I'm talking about non-sexual affection, whether it's touching his head, putting your hand on his, um, you know, just touching him in any way, hugging him kissing him, just non-sexual affection. And really the best way to do, the best way to get into the headspace of that is to think about what you probably did um, if you have a son, or you can imagine you would do if you had a son and he, and you see him at the end of his first grade day or whatever. And what's the, what's the, what's the thing you're going to do naturally is to run up and hug him and kiss him and let him know that you missed him. Well, the vast majority of boys have somebody waiting for them and that person at the end of the day, and that person is almost always mom. And they're raised on a steady diet of attention and affection from the number one woman 
in their lives. And who does that number one, number one woman become when they get older? His wife or his significant other, who's also a female. Obviously, I'm talking about heterosexual relationships here. But at any rate, um, that's what they associate with and respond to. So if you, and you probably did a lot of that when you were first dating, but when time goes on and, and, and life gets in the way, we forget the significance of just those really small physical gestures, but they, they empower and lift up your man. Okay. Number two, men live to see the woman they love happy. That's it. That's all they want, which means if you're negative and downer and a downer or complaining or moaning or nagging, you are sucking the life out of him. When you're happy and smiling and generating positive energy, you're emboldening, emboldening him. And keep in mind, this isn't all just to accommodate him. This is also, this comes back to you because you get the best of him so that you're not frustrated with why is he not being this or why is he not being that. Very often it's because of what you're bringing to the table is sucking that out of him and you have the power to lift it up. That's why these things, six things are so important. Easy to please and quick to forgive. Men live to, to see the woman they love happy. Number three, men don't like to fight with women. I did a whole video on this some months back. They are not cut out to fight with women. They don't, they're not cut out for emotional warfare. They'll fight a man without a problem, but they're not interested or adept at fighting with a woman, which is why they're always stuck between, you know, wanting to please you, but also needing to do right by you. It's a very difficult position to be in for a man. Very. Um, because at his core, he doesn't want to fight. Okay. Number four, number four, a man's identity is inextricably linked to his need and desire to provide and protect, which means if you are usurping his ability to do this, you're going to have problems in your marriage. And what I mean by that is it's not so much about who makes more, although that matters. It's more about how are you handling that money that you are making and how are you handling the budget, assuming you even have one, together as a team. And if you are, for example, spending more than he's able to earn or disagreeing with each other um, or, set, or deciding on something and then not sticking to it, anything that's undermining his ability to provide is going to deflate him and you're going to have marital problems. The number one most important thing you can do is let him stay in a position to be your hero and to be your provider, even if you earn money. And there are a lot of you know, little tricks to that. Little, I'm not going to get into all that right now, but that's at the core of so many marital problems is that the ability to provide and be their woman's hero has been completely stripped from them. And it's very hard for them to step in and overpower you going back to that whole um, not, you know, wanting you to be happy, not wanting to fight with you. And that's where things get very complicated. Um, when, he's in, when he's in charge of his own, um, when, he bring, when he has uh, agency over what he brings to the table, he's emboldened. And if that's stripped from him, he just sort of gives up. And that's when the, the marriage will start its, its descent. 
Number five, your man will not come right out, come right out and tell you when he's unhappy. So you're going to have to read the signs. Men are action oriented. They're not going to come sit down and say, I want to talk. Let's talk about our marriage. I mean, that just does not happen. In fact, if you say that, he's going to brace himself for something he doesn't want to do. So he's not going to bring this to your attention, but he's going to act out in a way that's going to let you know um, what he's feeling. So you have to really know your husband and, or your man and really read him. Read the signs because his behaviors will show you if he's not happy. And then when he does, I'm not saying he never would tell you. Oftentimes men do tell their wives when they're unhappy, but they're not heard. And then they just give up. So because they speak so much less than we do, it's important that when they do speak, that you really hear them. Don't just dismiss it as as a nothing because it's very likely not a nothing. Number six, last one. Men respond to sweet talk and bottom lines. So hmm, the better way of putting that is, let's see, really, really sweet, really, really nice, really, really kind. Cute doesn't hurt either. Playful doesn't hurt either. But getting to the point as well. So the combination of being cute and fun and sweet and kind and getting to the point is hugely important. If you go on and on and on, you're gonna lose him. Figure out what you wanna say, write it out if you have to, come up with one or two sentences and get it out and just end of story. Don't go on and on with it. He will hear you. The moment you start going on and on, you've lost him. Sweet talking bottom lines. So there you go, six things. Number one, men are easy to please and simple, sorry, yeah, easy to please and quick to forgive. Two, men live to see the woman they love happy. Three, men don't like to fight with women. Four, a man's identity is inextricably linked to his need to provide and protect. Number five, men don't come out and tell you when they're unhappy, so you have to read the signs. And number six, men respond to sweet talk and bottom lines. So as much as you can focus your energies on those six things, I promise you, your relationship will improve exponentially and overnight. Good luck. Humans are social creatures, which is to say we derive at least some of our self-worth from other people's estimations of our worthiness. For what it is, this is fine. Other people's estimations of us provide a sort of check on our behavior. After all, if we didn't care what anyone thought about us, what sort of things would we be capable of doing? This is the purpose of healthy shame. It keeps us in line with the group. Remove that shame entirely, and you run the risk of ending up something like a sociopath. So our social nature keeps us from destroying each other, the things we've built together, and ourselves. But there's a problem. There are few forces more out of our control than other people's opinions, especially of us. Misunderstandings of words and actions happen all the time. A salty person having a bad day can spark a brush fire of gossip about us. I'd even argue that the driving force behind the feeling of FOMO, or fear of missing out, is not missing the thing itself, but missing being part of some unexpected important experience of the group. We take a day off for the first time in months and miss the best day ever. And suddenly we feel ourselves on the outside. Living to prevent these outcomes means living in pain. We can't ever speak or act with 100% clarity, manage other people's bad days, 
or extend ourselves past our breaking point, just in case we miss something. So at some point, every individual must learn that the opinion of the group isn't the end-all be-all, and develop a healthy relationship between self-respect and group respect. This is at the small group level, the level of our friends, colleagues, and family. This was the level that most of humanity has lived at for most of our existence. But in the modern era, we're also part of larger metagroups of neighborhoods, cities, nations, even continents, and an entire species. When we connect to the internet with strangers all over the world, our social wiring fires for group approval, just as it does for our friends. We can't prevent this. It's part of us. The only problem is we have no way to negotiate with this mega group. We have no social relationships to leverage or shared memories to draw upon. The individual human soul encountering the internet is a bit like being on a raft alone in the middle of the ocean, subject to overpowering and destructive forces we can't imagine and can only hope to respond to. And in a world where it's sometimes hard enough to stand up to the kiddie pool-sized waves of our friends, how can an individual hope to stand against the entire ocean? This is a question I wish none of us had to ask. But unfortunately, the ocean of public opinion is not totally random in its movements. It can be controlled, shaped, and directed. This is the function of mass media. Since the 1928 book Propaganda by Edward Bernays, owners of major media outlets have understood that these great institutions can be used to influence the public rather than just inform or entertain. And lately, that influence has graduated to outright manipulation. Through mass media, the public is told what to think, how to think, when to think, and why not to think when it's inconvenient. Their passions are inflamed, hatred stoked, even violence cultivated. And it all can be weaponized against the individual at a moment's notice. Think about Kyle Rittenhouse, the Covington kids, and even Jordan Peterson. They did nothing wrong, and yet they're hated all the same. In the face of this, our individual, social, human soul cowers. Who can stand against the scorn of an entire planet, recognized forever, whispered about, admired or spit upon, for a lifetime? Who dares step into that spotlight? Most wish for it never to fall upon them. And yet, with an age of injustice darkening around us, what if we need to? What if, despite all of our social programming to be liked, we must risk the stormy seas of public opinion to speak truth, to stand up for what's right, to protect ourselves, our families, and our civilization? What if we need a particular kind of courage, not just to act in ways dangerous to our bodies, but in ways dangerous to others' estimations of us? What if we need to learn to walk out of line with the group? What if we need the courage to be disliked? Which brings me to my guest this week. Her name is Suzanne Venker, and she's an author and marriage coach who walked onto the battlefield of the sexual holy war between men and women in 2012 with an article for Fox News entitled The War on Men. Since then, she's written excellent books, appeared on dozens of radio shows, and developed a coaching practice specifically geared towards bringing couples closer together, in part by helping both women and men extract the feminist programming that's been embedded in our psyches by mass media and culture. 
Suzanne and I met at the 21 convention, where I interviewed her for the 21 report. Speaking with her, I realized this woman is on the front lines in a way that I think few others are. Seeing the ways that feminism warps, distorts, and even shatters women's hopes for a happy family life. All for the promise of money. I can only imagine the carnage. In our conversation, Suzanne and I discussed the journey she took to talking about women and men professionally, the feminist mind, and if it can be deprogrammed, or better yet, when it can be deprogrammed. The fascinating story of how her stockbroker mother helped teach her vital lessons about femininity, why she's taking a break from podcasting and writing, and what she's got planned next. And finally, a discussion of sex before marriage and when and why it should occur. On that last point, we discuss the topic from a secular perspective. For me, saving myself from marriage is unfortunately a settled question, but I'd encourage my Christian listeners and men asking questions about modern sexuality in general to strongly consider celibacy, because the sexual marketplace is more fraught now than ever. But that's another conversation. As you'll hear, Suzanne and I have a lot of fun talking. I have enormous respect for her for speaking truth quietly and clearly. And as you'll hear, she's a very likable woman. In that, I also honor her courage to be disliked. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. Please don't forget to give us a rating on Spotify, a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and share this podcast with your friends. With your help, the Renaissance can reach more men and women. Also, speaking of podcasts, if you're tired of Spotify big tech censorship, the Renaissance of Men podcast is now part of Podcasting 2.0. Visit podcasterindex.com or see the link in the description and connect on dozens of other platforms. I recommend the full-featured Fountain FM, where you can add Bitcoin to a Lightning wallet and stream sats while you listen. So far, listeners have contributed $11, and while that might not sound like much, I put an enormous amount of work into these podcasts, so every little bit of appreciation counts. Thank you to all who've contributed. Finally, this episode is sponsored by Deepwell Designs, makers of fine silver and stone jewelry, handcrafted in the Western United States. Keep listening for more information or hit the link in the description for more. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, the author, marriage coach, and meatloaf fan, Suzanne Venker. Suzanne, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Will. You know, as I was getting ready for um, this conversation, I looked back and realize that uh, we've actually had a couple conversations in pretty quick quick succession from the 21 convention and you had me on your podcast so I'm excited to have you uh, to continue the conversation on my podcast today. Me too. Me too. Love talking to you. So I think I think where I'd like to start is um, one of the things that I get out of uh, your work is you talk a lot about how uh, women can take care of men's needs and um you know, I don't really think much about my needs. I just kind of have them. So when I read some of your writing about how women can take care of men's needs, what men want, um, I actually learn a lot about myself. And so I'm actually curious how you started asking these questions, how you got into this this field at all. Um, there, you're, there aren't many of you. Let's put it that way. No, I know. Um, it, it definitely evolved. It evolved. It was, I didn't set out to do this specifically. Um, when I, I guess, I guess it, 
I guess it uh, developed mainly since I wrote the book, The Alpha Female's Guide to Men and Marriage, which is subtitled How Love Works. And it was, uh, I wrote that in two, it came out in 2017. And it was a memoir, part memoir, part self-help, going through my own um, dealings with my husband and communication and um, where I was falling short, where maybe he was, but I wasn't focused on him. The whole point of the book was about staying focused on me and things that I learned growing up that I didn't want to repeat. And through that process of writing that book and then subsequently um, started coaching several years ago, which is basically taking the content of the book and helping people one-on-one put the material to action is what it, what it really is. I, um, I got a real window into not just my own world and what I saw growing up and what I was doing in my own marriage, but in what, in the struggles that other people are having. And it just became really crystal clear that there's a theme. There's a definite theme of, I guess what I would call like a modern struggle Mm -hmm. with women who have been taught to be too much in their masculine, right. In their core masculine, aggressive, go out and get it, get what you're, do, you know, uh, all that political stuff and they're bringing it into their relationships and not understanding that it doesn't belong there. Mm-hmm. And then men taking a step back, thinking they're supposed to let women shine and equalize everything. And so being masculine is bad. And then seeing the result of that, um, take place, which was just a much more extreme version of anything I experienced personally in my own marriage, but I did see growing up with my parents. Mm-hmm. So it's personal for me. And um, no doubt because of that, I've always, I've really honed in on figuring that dance out and mm-hmm. what it is, what's the missing information, sort of the light bulb moment that people can have about what men need um, and, and seeing how simple it is and understanding that the antagonism that they've been encouraged to have over these years um, is is hurting their own relationships and that the power is really within them. But in order to access that feminine power, they have to reject pretty much everything they've been taught since day one, right? Mm-hmm. From both the culture and then for many, for many of them from their own parents. Mm-hmm. And that's a tall order. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, we're not talking overnight stuff at all. It's huge. It's just a whole different way of moving through the world. But mm-hmm. when they get a taste of it and they actually are successful in it, everything turns around. It just looks completely different when you let go of those narratives that you've been groomed to harbor. Oh, sorry. So then you asked about men. So that, so I, my focus has been on women and in seeing and hearing from the men, I realized that they need, I feel like they need well, that's where you all come in. I feel like men right. have always needed men to guide them and women need women. That's always been my, my position, but I've ended up working with men who are very welcoming of a woman's voice saying the same types of things mm-hmm. that a male coach might tell them because it's so unusual, I guess, to hear it from a woman. Um, and, and that window into that, uh, into the male mind, I guess you'd say, has sort of allowed me to really listen and hear and then try to sort of transfer that to women and say, Hey, here's what's, here's what's really going on. Here's Mm -hmm. how you can do better um, to get the best out of him and to um, nurture the relationship so that you can ultimately get what you want as well, rather than suffering through 
feeling stuck and, and suffering through this um, uh, upside down relationship, really, where, where the roles are just so topsy turvy that people don't know what the hell's going on, basically. Mm-hmm. That was a long yeah. answer to the question, but no, that's a great that's a great answer. Um, I think as, as a as a man who's coached men and and myself been coached, I, I think the topic of what men need from women, I don't think it comes up quite in that way. Um, you and I first connected over uh, uh, we had big fans of Alison Armstrong, who was on my podcast mm-hmm. and her book The Queen's Code, which is similarly in the vein of how women can relate to men. And men don't really, from a coaching perspective, talk about that. I mean, aside from some some basics, like it's okay to want sex, you know, something like that, or, you know, it's okay to, uh, it's okay to want to be taken care of, or it's, a, it's the need to cultivate more emotional availability, let's say. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, in, in terms of what men actually need from women, we don't have those conversations. And my sense of the reason why is it's probably it's probably twofold. One, because I think on some level men take it for granted that it's just obvious. But I think on another level, it's that men have become accustomed to not getting it. That we've just become comfortable with the idea of like, well, the notion of being able to put any kind of demand on your wife or partner for what you might need is just not something that you can ever ask for. Like, don't even don't even try. Or like, you have to go on this big nice dinner and set up the whole thing to just ask for something really basic. Like, hey, like. Can can you be? I want to say nicer, but you know, can mm-hmm. you can you be more affectionate? That's what I was mm-hmm. going for. It's like the amount of con- the amount of work. Go ahead. It's just so frustrating for both people because you're right. The men aren't just stating it outright, and they should. But women, like one of the things I try to teach women is that you have to read the cues from men. You have to look mm-hmm. at the behavior and the actions because it's not going to come at you verbally. And mm-hmm. you can't really make a man as verbal as you are. Women are designed, they're more emotional, they're more verbal. They, they see nuance. They see things going on in relationships that a man, it just kind of will go over their head. And it's not a, it's not a superior, superior, inferior thing. It's just two different ways of, of looking at things because there's a lot of things that men are able to do that women need, in my opinion, to uh, learn from like the ability to focus, you know, what, what's, yeah. what's good about being linear and the, you know, you're really honed in on getting something done. Um, so it goes both ways, but you, they're not generally going to be as verbal, although it'd be lovely if they were, and it's good to teach men to be more vocal that way. Um, but it's hard for them. And rather than be mad about it, there could be another way of looking at it. And that is to look at the behavior, really mm-hmm. pay attention to when they're happy, when they're sad, when they're frustrated, when they, when they smile (laughs) and, 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 you know, put that in your notebook, your little mental notebook of like, what is happening there, you know, or asking, Mm. you could ask straight out how they're feeling and kind of pull it out of them. Um, but yeah, just two totally different languages. Right. Can I offer something? Mm -hmm. So I think that there, I can, I'll speak for myself. So I, I am a bit more verbal, which is why I host a mm-hmm. podcast. And I can say that um, I don't actually, I don't have a problem speaking up about my inner life. I've done a lot of inner self work, a lot of transformational stuff. So that's been a big part of it. I think that that beyond uh, the lack of men being verbal, there's also a fear of the word no. Like what oh. if I were to, you know, what if I were to ask my partner, please be more affectionate. And she'd be like, what oh. do you mean? You know what I mean? Or, or hearing the word or, or some form of rejection. Like men don't ask each other for things unless it's, unless it's pretty urgent. 
You know, we 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 yeah. are in our relationships with each other. We try to be very self sufficient. Try not to put a burden on anybody else. That's the ideal. Is you know, you don't borrow someone's ego to answer a question that you can answer for yourself. So if you really want to ask for something significant of another man, like that, that can be a thing depending on the relationship. So just getting to that point of speaking up for a need, but then the risk of of our partner saying no, I can't give that to you is like that would be crushing. And so it's almost like the incentive is to not even ask or to not even acknowledge the need for it for myself in some cases anyway. Which is interesting because if you don't say anything and you're not getting it, it's no either way. So it's like, <laughs> it's almost like you might as well try and see if it's, that's, that's an interesting point. I wonder how many women would flat out say no, if men articulated exactly what they want or, or need. would or would question or the need quest. in some way. It's yeah. like, or, or it's like, so a man would take the 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 bold, risky step for a man for asking for what he needs, and the response that would come back would be anything other than yes, I didn't know you needed that. The response would be, why do you need that? Or I can't do like not straight up no, but like yeah. some sort of questioning. He's questioning. taking the risk to express it, and right. the woman's like, why right. do you need that? It's like I can't even tell you why I need it, but I know I need it. It's like this isn't meant to be an argument yeah. over the thing that I need. I'm asking, and so that so it's like then you get the no either way, but like. The, the confirmed no is mm. worse because then you know who you're with, right? When you first said the word no, I thought you were going to refer to how much. Because I didn't think about it from that end, but that's true. I, I was thinking about how, how important it is for men to know how to say no to their woman. Yes. Oh, that too. Yeah, that's where I thought you were going at first. Um, but that's interesting what you just said. Yeah. So. Um. Uh, okay, sorry. Off, off course there. No, Go take ahead. us. The, there's there well, are no rules on the Renaissance of Men podcast. Take us off road. I just, I feel so badly for men because, um, I feel like they are caught between their natural desire, which is to, for lack of a better word, serve their woman. So if they love them, yeah. they want to give them what they want. They want to see them happy. They're, they're naturally inclined to do that. And they'll do anything for your happiness too. They'll do anything for a smile, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a laugh. Yeah. And because that means they're doing something right, right? If, if you're happy and you're laughing, that means I'm good and I'm, I'm doing it for you, you know? Um, yeah. And they're torn between that, which is wanting to give their wife slash woman what they want and a genuine need to say, to have boundaries, I guess, to say, no, yeah. we can't do that, or I can't give you that, or whatever. And I think nine out of 10 <laughs> times, men are going to err on the just giving in yeah. the human nature of wanting to please them rather than say no, which is totally detrimental to the relationship and very detrimental to him because over time, he's going to resent his own choice to do that because his need mm-hmm. is he's not following what he wants to do. That's right. That's right. It's it, it does feel like a trap. It does feel like that, that. And this is something that we do talk about in the men's space. You know, the need to the need to set boundaries or set a container or or say no. And I was listening to a, a pastor, Doug Wilson. Like, you know, your 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 wife, your woman is is a human being. She doesn't want to win all the time. Not everyone wants to win all the time. Like, you have to say no. And I heard that I said yes. That's absolutely true. And my concern as a man would be if I if I say no, that builds up resentment. Because like resentment can always come out sideways later. And that's, the, I guess I would ask you that question. You mean resentment like, on her part. On her part of me, that if, I say, that if I say no, that somewhere in the back, there's a little tank filling up full of resentment. And at some point that resentment is going to come out at me sideways. 
Is that a thing? Because that's my that's my male fear that if not that I say no to some tyrannical degree, but that if I put enough bound that if I put appropriate boundaries down, am I going to get an attack coming at me sideways when I'm least expected? So that's really interesting, especially if that's the reason why men are hesitant to do that. Because from my experience, it's the complete opposite. <laughs> Instead of chalking up bits of resentment, you're actually she's chalking up bits of respect for you. Oh wow. Okay, good to know. Um, it may not look like it in the moment, and she may balk, you know, and back, and you have to be able to take that. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be able to handle that. Um, so this depends on the woman, of course. Sure. But the more, the more difficult she's making that, the more difficult she's making it for you to say no after you've said it on a consistent basis. I would say the the more you know that you're dealing with a potentially emotionally unstable woman who really doesn't mm-hmm. want a relationship because a, a one who does will, will respond to that differently. They will respect you and they will want you to stand your ground. Um, and I think a lot of women want to be, see, this is gets really tricky. Um, so uh, this is my first time actually using this word publicly. Okay. Mm. But I'm thinking about using it in, in other ways. So I might as well just talk it out here. Mm-hmm. Um, before I use the word, because people are going to be like, what? Um, I'm going <laughs> to give you an example. I'm going to give you an example from a movie. Okay. There's one of my favorite movies is called far from the matting crowd. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen it, but please, please go watch it after sometime soon after our conversation today, okay, not I'll, the original, have... but the most okay. recent with Carrie Mulligan. Far from the Madding Crowd. I'll add to the show notes. Far from the Madding Crowd. I really want to hear from you after you've watched it. And you have to watch it more than once because there's a lot there. Oh, wow. Okay. But the main character, without giving out, giving too much away, the main character who's played by Carrie Mulligan, her name is Bathsheba. Okay. This, this is Provocative. Set way, way back in the 1800s. 1700, 1800s, 1800s, I think. I don't know. Um, and she's very strong-willed, very independent. She, her parents died early on, so she just raised herself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she's basically a man you know, for all intents and purposes, but she's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and she meets three different men. So the, the, the arc of the story is her relationship with these three different, very, three different, very, three different, three very different kinds of men. That's what I was trying to say. Three very different kinds of men. And one of them... When she says hello, he wants, not says hello, but when she, he wants to marry her right, right away. Back then, I guess you just get, you saw somebody you liked and you wanted to marry them. So she said, um, she's never getting married um, because you wouldn't be able to tame me. Mm-hmm. That's the word. That's the word I was going to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would want somebody who could. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fair. Okay. I think most, if not all, women like Bathsheba mm-hmm. secretly want a man who can tame them. Mm. And the taming, you know, depending on how you're going to be able to, re- depending on your view of the world and men and women, you're either going to, you know, you'll either take offense to that word, like what are women cattle, you know, or, <laughs> you, you know, yeah. or you'll understand what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, it's not a lording over. It's a taming 
the wild spirit because it can't it, it can't stay in that wild state. It's got to it's got to coexist with with others and be peaceful. Mm-hmm. And you need the strength of a strong man to be able to tame her. A woman like that, I mean, a woman like that. Yes, yes, okay. Not and all think, women. No, right. No, a woman like yeah. that. And I think that there are so many of those women in America yeah. today. And that's, whereas if you went back 50 years ago, you wouldn't find as many of them. My mother mm-hmm. was one, but she was unusual. She was born 1930. And mm-hmm. um, she was not a product of her times. But if you plucked her into today's world, both my parents are gone. She would be one of a dime a dozen. Because mm-hmm. the average woman today is very strong-willed and independent and doesn't let, the, let her guard down and all of that. So... I don't know. I feel like my goal is to help men. I almost want to shift my attention away or at least add the men on more than I do just the women to help them understand what it is those those women are really needing from them because their Mm -hmm. tendency is to step back when a woman rises up, right? Because you can't Mm -hmm. fight with her um, the way you can a man. And, Mm -hmm. And again, going back to that whole idea of wanting her to, you know, wanting to give to her and have her be happy. So if you think, oh, she wants to be, the, that she wants to be the man I'm going to step back and let her be, which mm-hmm. is a no win situation for, yeah. for relationships. It's just, it's going to fall flat eventually. Um, I don't know how we got on that, but taming is what I was trying to, to talk no, about a, there. That, um, it's a powerful word. It's a powerful word and it, and it, and yeah, it's a powerful word. And, and, it's a matter of understanding what, what that really looks like and what that can be like, which is why mm-hmm. I'm saying watch Far From the Matting Crowd, because if you watch it all the way to the end, you'll see what I mean. Okay. No spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers. So, okay. So I have a question about that then. So, so I think I, I find myself wondering, okay, so that, that I agree that there are women who, who want and need that. But I wonder if um, Far From the Matting Crowd, is ba- the movie is based on a book and the book is by Thomas something or other. Um, Thomas Wolfe or something like that. Um, not to be confused with Tom Wolfe, the American author, but Thomas Wolfe. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the thing is, I wonder if the women of Bathsheba's age, um, era, meaning the 1800s, yeah. mm-hmm. she had an expectation of being tamed, meaning like, I don't think you could tame me. And parenthetically, I expect to be tamed. But I think the women today who need to be tamed would absolutely resist any notion of being tamed and that the men simply don't have enough within them to tame them and continue living their life. Like I, I 100% agree. And I think that's where we are with it, which is why we're finding men stepping back and saying, I'm out. Yeah. For that very reason. Yeah. Um, and I'm saying, okay, that's one, one road you can go. Just, you know, yeah. say, forget it. I'm not going to go there. But if, but an alternative would be to, attempt to do that. And if you, and I, I would, I would argue that about half of the women, of course, there's absolutely nothing. This is just a guess. <laughs> about half the women would actually respond well and the okay. other half wouldn't. And if they wouldn't respond well, you have to remove yourself because at that point she's so far gone and she needs to stay in that space. She's never going to be. Mm-hmm. And I can tell this now, by the way, several years after doing the coaching at first, I would try really hard to determine whether or not I thought this was fixable before working with someone. Mm-hmm. And of course I found out the hard way that it's, it, you know, it's, it can be hard to determine that up front. Um, I'm much better at it now than I was when I started. 
because I can, there's a, there's an aura there, there's words, there's things that you say that I can kind of tell whether you are really in or not. If you Mm -hmm. really want to change and you're ready to change. And by the way, I argue that everybody and anybody can change at any time. It's about getting your head around a whole new way of living and being in the world and in your relationship and then putting the skills to action. But before you put the skills to action, you have to actually see and want a like a completely different life than the one you're living. You have to be so desperate to fix it that you're willing to have a different life with that person than to just get divorced or stay out and, and live alone or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I have to discern whether or not you're, you know, you're, you're all in, I guess is a way of putting it. You're talking to the women that you coach now. Mm-hmm. That's, that's okay. That's what you mean. That must man, talk about being on the front lines. You yeah. Know? Yep. Uh, there I are mean, I've that- seen stuff. It's, it's pretty, it's remarkable. I mean, it's, um, and you think, like I said, I'm better with it now, but they'll tell you what you <laughs> want to hear. And sometimes they believe that they're, they want to, but then you can see it's not registering and they, they're in the blame mode and they cannot look in the mirror at all. And then I can't help you if you cannot look in the mirror, it's, it's not going to work. What I, I have so many questions. So I'm, I'm trying to just imagine the excruciating process it must take to get a woman to look into the mirror and see that like, hey, some of this is on you. I don't care what the TV and the movies and the books and your mom and, every, and the music and it all says, girl boss, I don't care. I don't care. You got to look in the mirror and like turning their head away from mm-hmm. whatever. Toward, I mean, that, I can't even, I can't even, I can't even imagine. I've, I've tried to do that in my personal life. <laughs> it's like, it's almost impossible for you. Like in, in the coaching environment, it must be. Well, the only difference would be that they're coming to me, right? Mm-hmm. And they're asking for help. And so they're looking for something. So then I have to explain, okay, I can help you, but here's what you're looking at. Uh Is this what you're willing to do? And of course, if they have small children, they're much more, yes, 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 right? Then if they're, I don't know, if they're becoming empty nesters, they might be, they might be, they want an excuse to check out, you know? I had one woman and I knew, I almost didn't take her on for this reason alone. She was an FBI agent. (laughs) There you go. And just what she did for, I mean, a woman FBI agent alone there, I I actually asked her the numbers on that. I can't remember what they are, but the number of female FBI agents versus men. And it's just off the charts, right? Sure. It's so so small. And I didn't want to judge her on that. I just thought, oh my God, an FBI agent. When you really think about what they do, how on earth would that person become a soft, feminine conciliatory creature at home. Like I just couldn't get my head around it. Um, and I was right in the end. She, she was not able to do it at all, but, um, because she wasn't able to, I mean, it's one thing to do that. If you're have a regular job or, or just, I don't know, you're at a desk job or something, you know, Mm -hmm. or or even a teacher or something, I don't know, something that's just a little more run of the mill, but an FBI agent, you'd have to either, I mean, she wasn't going to give up her career and I wasn't telling her to, it's just that the alternative means that, what you're doing all day can't in any way, shape or form be what you're doing at home. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to completely flip it off and, you know, create these new set of skills for how to relate to a man at home with your children, which is not being an FBI agent, the things that you would need to do to be an FBI agent, you know, the skill you would be employing there. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds like that's, I mean, that sounds like a, a really impossible problem where, 
a woman is forced into a position of like, it's one thing to confront her own programming about men and masculinity and femininity. Like it's one thing for any human being in, a, in an environment to, to confront these mistaken beliefs. It's another thing when your career that you've sacrificed a lot for yep. demands you surface 180 degree polar opposite characteristics. Like you can't shift gears like that. You just, you, and, and, and if you mix it up, like, yeah, it's one thing if you, if it's one thing, if you go too hard at home, but if you're like kicking indoors as an FBI agent and you have a moment of soft femininity, that's your life is in danger. You know, like it's, it is that real. And so like, did she, did she recognize in herself? Like I have to choose between my career and a family or what was, what did the, what did the decision look like for her? I'm certain they got divorced. I never did check up on them, oh, but I'm certain geez. they were getting divorced after they, yeah, there's no way <sighs> because um, I ended up working with both of them, which I sometimes do. I'll alternate. Uh, it's not like I never talk to the husband, yeah. but um, I could just tell it was heading that way. And then the last few times she, she would try to put something into action, but it was a half-assed effort and mm -hmm. she just could not get off the blame train. I mean, she mm. was just rah, 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 about him the whole time. There was nothing wrong with her, everything wrong with him. Mm. Um, and when I got into the whole F being an FBI versus being a wife and a mother. And well, what are you expecting me to do? What are you asking me to do? I'm like, well, here's where you are, right? If you're mm -hmm. not going to leave your position, which I assume you're not, mm -hmm. um, what's your alternative? If you want to stay married, it's, you can stay the way you are and have things be horrible. You can get divorced and deal with the fallout of that because they had two small children. Mm -hmm. You can quit your job as an FBI agent and just throw yourself into being a wife and mother, which she wasn't going to do that. Or you can try my way, which is here's how you have to be at home and here's what you have to be at work and they don't match and you have mm -hmm. to learn a new set of skills. So that's what I'm offering, you know, and, and if you want, if you don't like it, then you're back to staying the, what, the way things are now or getting divorced or leaving and your job of, or, you know, whatever the case may be. All those, all those are pretty terrible, pretty terrible options, unfortunately. Well, I'd, I'd like to think mine isn't a terrible option, my, what I'm suggesting. Um, well, I mean, I don't mean to say that it yeah. is, but like yeah, the notion of like have being two completely different people at home and at work, like that's, that's quite difficult, you know? So here's no how I liken fix. it. See, I don't think of it as when I say that, I, that is true. I'm saying, you know, come five o'clock, you shift into a wife and mother mode. I am saying <laughs> that that's true, but I don't see it as, uh, I certainly don't see it as impossible. Um, and I see it as difficult at first because it's so new, mm -hmm. but once you've tried it on for size and you've seen the results, how quickly they work too. It it's the idea is that it propels you forward because you see how effective it is. But also I, I like to say, it's not like you're being two different people. I mean, when you go to a funeral, will um, you dress different, you talk mm -hmm. different, you behave different than you do if you go to a wedding, mm -hmm. but you're still will. Yes. In both places, but I don't go to funerals and weddings every day. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Good point. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Yeah. It would be, that is interesting. Imagine that for, for a, going to a wedding and a funeral every day forever. Yeah. Oh, that'd be weird. Um, yeah. I don't know. But you're right. Um, I don't know how to, I don't know. I don't know how to say, except that it is, it's a very new idea that seems very difficult, but all I can say is after you've, after you've been successful, it's really not a big deal. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, it, so it actually works. So you have found women that can do that can yeah. keep their career and be happy and fulfilled at it while being a a wife and mother at home and 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 and, and manage to strike that balance right in a way that that works for them. Well, I don't know how successful that hardcore career women are at it. No. Okay. But that, so, that, that I, so we have to qualify what we mean by working. I'm a huge fan of part-time work for women. Okay. Yes, that's right. Women, You're who, very... excuse me, women who are mothers and uh, mm-hmm. wives and mothers, not just women, but you have, you have to separate all these categories. Mm-hmm. Being a career woman or mapping out your life like a man's, living like a man's as if you are not ever going to be a wife and mother, and then you become a wife and mother, you're going to struggle because your eggs are in this other basket and you're trying to throw in the wife and mother thing along the Mm -hmm. way and it doesn't, it's not working. So that person might struggle. I wouldn't say that hundred percent of the people that I work with are career women. Mm -hmm. Um, they work, but, uh, not necessarily full time year round. So Mm -hmm. a couple of them have, and I think that it is true. The more, the more they're doing that, the less successful they're going to be with, with what I teach for sure, because it requires time and energy that you're not, that you don't have or that you're choosing not to have or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. What I, what I tend to say is, um, women haven't been given all the, all the information they need to make an informed decision with their life. Bingo. Mother, their culture tells them you gotta be a, you gotta, Yeah. It's like, well, why don't you just give them the option of being wives and mothers and say, look, these are the two paths, one or the other. You can choose this, but one will come at the expense of the other and trust women being smart enough to make the decision for themselves. Exactly. That has been, Will, that has been my argument forever. And I'm, you know, over the years that, over the years I've had people be like, so are you saying women shouldn't uh, work? You know, (sighs) you want women to go, you know, you want to go back to the fifties. That's not the point. The point is exactly as you said, you can do whatever you want understand mm-hmm. the trade-offs That's and right. be prepared. And parents do not prepare their daughters in particular. They just tell them, they talk to them the way they talk to their sons as though they're the same. They raise their mm-hmm. daughters like they raise their sons as if their daughters aren't hugely different from their sons anatomically and that their bodies are not going to do something totally different than their son's bodies are. And mm-hmm. they are going to respond to that differently and have different needs and desires as a result of that. And mm-hmm. to just skip over that part and act like they're never going to have children is insane. It's just, it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 um, it's neglectful mm-hmm. in it's, my opinion. As it's a cruel. It's mm-hmm. cruel. You know, there's the, I mean, whether it's consciously cruel or unconsciously cruel, it is. And, you know, it's also just completely buying into the propaganda. It's, mm-hmm. it's fearful. It's unquestioning. Mm-hmm. It's all these, it's all these, it's all these terrible, terrible conformist qualities that humans have. Um, that we Amen. talked about that, that are just, that are just, it's like, they're all surfacing right now in humanity. And, and we, we, we were talking at one expression of it in the, in men and women and, and, and sexuality and, and male and female relationships and marriage and stuff. But like, it's showing up everywhere where it's like, this is obviously not working. Why are you still doing it? <laughs> right. I mean, the, the lack of courage, um, is is pretty astounding. Yeah. Um, p- parents, adults are just as susceptible to conformist thinking and behaviors as as young people are. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want to say any. They don't want to raise their children any differently than they're supposed to raise them. And you're supposed to raise your daughters to 
do anything they want, be anything they want, sky's the limit. And then they just stop with the conversation right there. There's mm-hmm. no caveats. There's no ex, there's no thinking long-term and how are you going to make this work 10 years down the road? There's none of that. Mm-hmm. Makes, yeah, me, are, makes me crazy. It, well, yeah. I mean, and it, it makes, it makes society miserable. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's sort of a lose, lose situation where mm-hmm. it's like, you see all these miserable marriages which can be miserable for all kinds of reasons. But in the, what we're talking about now is, you know, where you have an inverted relationship where the, where the woman wears the pants and bosses the man around who slowly withers and bends his back over time. And both people and both people are miserable. And if you were to suggest to them, like your attitudes about, you know, masculinity and femininity and, and say that you're talking to them about raising their kids, your, your, your attitudes have made towards marriage have made you both miserable and you're going to pass these on to your kids you can raise them to be happier. It just means questioning everything that you believe. And they're not willing. They can't do that. They can't look at the wreckage of their lives and say like, oh, no, this, we're doing everything right. It's like it doesn't it, – it's – it doesn't – I don't know. I don't know what to do. No. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read um, The Courage to be Disliked? No, I haven't. Oh, my gosh. Okay, that's okay. your second thing to do after Far From the Manning Crowd. I can't wait to talk to you after you've watched and watched, read these things. The Courage to be Disliked. Okay, The Courage and, um, to be Disliked. Yeah, The Courage to be Disliked. It's a Japanese phenomenon. Three million books sold. It's been out for a little while, and I am just wow. recently stumbled upon it. Two, two Korean gentlemen are manifesting Alfred Adler's philosophy. It was Freud... Who's the other one? And Adler. And Adler's less well-known. Young. Thank you. Freud, Young, and Adler. And Adler's the lesser known of the three. But his philosophy is, it's funny. I mean, mean, I've been living by it my whole life. I didn't even know that it came from Alfred Adler. Um, Not that it came from it, that that it matches, I should say. Um, And it's so much about having the courage to, um, well, we don't have to get into a long thing about it's it goes off on another another place that we're not going to talk about today but anyway the the point Mm -hmm. is to have courage to be who you are irrespective of what the people around you are doing and how hard Mm -hmm. that is for people because they compare themselves and that the gist of it is that all problems are interpersonal relationship problems that's his that's the the base of his Mm -hmm. theory all problems are interpersonal relationship problems so they're not internal within you as an individual, it has to do with how you relate or can't relate to other people around you. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating. But, um, but that's a piece of it is, is the, is the needing to go along to get along, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it takes courage to not do that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about parenting, not, having the courage to say to your daughters, Hey, 10 years from now, you're going to be in a pickle. If you map out your life like this, Mm -hmm. you cannot map it out the way a man maps out his, they're different and, and you're not equal, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so, you know, here's plan B, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is different from what the culture is telling him. Mm -hmm. And plan B used to be plan A. (laughs) Plan B used to be plan A. Plan A was never, you're not good enough for anything else. Just pop out a bunch of babies and be happy. That was never even imparted on women in any major way at all. It was, they were a product of the environment and the, the things that they had available to them at the time. You know, I mean, there's, you know, you, you're going to have a different kind of life if you have seven children than if you have two. 
Right. And, and now that people just have to, if even, um, mm-hmm. right. they, they're going to have very different lives from your mothers and your grandmothers. Mm-hmm. And men don't experience work as liberating. Like Hello? men don't go. It's like men go to the office like, I feel so free to sit in meetings all day and take notes and do what this dickhead boss says. Like, I'm so liberated. <clears throat> God forbid I be at home. <laughs> what slavery that would be. <laughs> so retarded. But we believe I mean, I'm this. I think about my husband just going, God, I wish I had your life, woman. You know, because I don't have a <laughs> boss, you know, and, and, and yeah. I don't have to show up. If I don't want to show up tomorrow to work, I don't. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. I yeah. mean, within Look, reason he can, of course. He's yeah. been in the working world for a long time. But you know what yeah. I mean. He has, ask him the, if, he has the weight on him that I don't have. That's right. Ask him if he feels liberated in that weight. You right. know? Right. Do you feel, congratulations, women. You're sitting in your cubicle. Do you feel liberated? How's that feel? <laughs> I mean, how's, seriously. How's it's insane. It's a, and, and even saying that, it's like, what? Do you mean that women are second-class citizens? <laughs> like, what? You're insane. Leave. Just go away. The adults are talking. So, Will, how you're in Arizona? So, how what what percentage? How many women out of ten do you know or run across or date or whoever who get it versus who don't? Who are acculturated uh, or who are not? Maybe that's a better way of putting it. I would say, if I had to guess, and and I because I've been living in Arizona only since the the, the pandemic. Uh, I haven't been as out and social as I would otherwise have been. So I'll look at the women over the course of my life. Let me look at it that way. Stop. Um, I'm going to stop you for a minute. You're frozen. Just want to let you know that. Oh, am I? I should. I don't know if that matters or not, but I'm just telling you. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. Okay. I'll be back then. If the video is frozen, I'll be back. Okay. Um, So I'm going to, um, I'm going to say that you're talking about women that I've met over my lifetime as opposed to women that I know now, because I don't know too many right now, but I would say. I would say that if women who are acculturated versus women who are asking questions, um, I would say that out of 10, like 9.5 at the mo, like at the minimum are acculturated. Like the number of women who are asking questions is, is fantastically, fantastically low has been, has been my experience. Some are, some are, but I think what I experience is that they run into the programming inside their own mind you know, inside their own, like they want to begin moving in a more, a more feminine versus feminist direction. They want to move into, you know, being a mother in a home and, and all this stuff, but the programming runs so deep, mm-hmm. it's generational yep. and they, they still will bump up against it. It's like, mm-hmm. no, this doesn't feel right. I still have to push back. I still can't do this. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, well, I mean, there's only that. So that's even in that, you know, 0.5% or whatever, it's still, you know, it, it's, it's in there. It's in everybody. I don't think any, I don't think any woman, unless she was raised in, you know, a really devout religious Christian household um, has escaped the programming, the feminist programming. No, I, agree that that. I agree with yeah. that completely. Um, but I just feel like there's such a missed opportunity because it isn't going with the program or being barefoot and pregnant. There's right. this huge middle ground. Why why don't they know? And why has nobody come along to say, you don't have to choose between those extremes. There's a whole, there's a whole life you can have in the middle here. And here's what it looks like. You know, you step out for a few years, you enjoy that time. You go back in your part-time, you make a little money, but you have, you're freed up from having to, um, be the, uh, be dependent upon financially, um, Mm -hmm. so that you can do these other things. Or if you want to later on, then you do. I mean, like, why is that not, 
I mean, I just, I just know that that, if that's presented to most women, at least most marriage minded women, cause I, I, I hear from them that they would go with that, that they want that. And I mm-hmm. feel like it's just skipped over. It's like, you're either this or you're that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can speculate as to why I, th- I think, I think one is that people are in general, not good at shades of gray thinking. Like it's either one or the other. That's just kind of how our brains seem to be wired. I think that way. And I think also there's, there's a component of, um, uh, and men are susceptible to this as well of lust of lust for money. Yes. You know, that it's like the idea like, Oh no, if you, if you make whatever, say a hundred thousand dollars in your career now, you know, but if you're going to step out for a few years and do part-time work or whatever, then you'll be making $20,000 and that's scarcity. Uh, you know what I mean? And so there's she probably some getting of that. So much more. You're getting so much more. You're right. right. That's that. And there, and everything is given a dollar amount. And if it doesn't have the dollar, then it has no worth. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk mm-hmm. about missing the boat completely. Yeah. I can't imagine spending my life believing that. I mean, yeah, you, but, but you did though, right? Like you were, your first book was the alpha females guide. Like did you had some of these ideas or, or maybe, maybe. No, you, maybe, no, no. I didn't have ideas about what we're talking about now with working full time and money and all that. No, my, that book was about, um, j- being a strong willed person. Oh, uh, control. Like I like control. Oh, okay. um, I like to make sure everything, you know, all the T's are crossed and eyes are dotted and everything has to be just so, and it was about learning how to be more, um, d- softer and mm. more relaxed and let things go and not direct everybody's traffic. That's mm-hmm. what it was about. And that mm. is something that can happen even as a stay at home mom, you could be a stay at home mom and be that way. Got so it. it wasn't about working. Um, in fact, my whole career has been, totally countercultural. My whole life has been countercultural from day one. Even when I was in college, I was figuring out how I was going to do this thing when nobody was talking about motherhood in college. So, Oh, wow. Really? Okay. Yeah. I'm not like a somebody, I know most people that you meet, they, they started really feminist or something and then they saw the light and that wasn't my story. Oh, okay. No. Not, so, so what was your story? Cause I saw the, I saw the alpha females guide and I started reading it and I had in my mind that it was speaking to career women, but now this makes a lot more sense that it's like, the helicopter parent, the need to be in control, like that can manifest whether you have a career or not. Yes. No, it's much more personality, behavioral, oh. mindset, uh, not money or career focused per se. Although you're right, people think oh, alpha women, you're automatically going to be having, you're automatically going to have a career um, or be a career woman. And that's sometimes true, but that's not always true. Mm-hmm. In fact, mm-hmm. I would argue that there's a lot, I don't know. I don't know. I can't really compare them, but just let's suffice to say plenty of at-home moms can have these um, tendencies as well. For sure. Yeah. Um, like the tiger moms, right? Uh, yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, so talk about, talk about you in college when you're thinking about these things, because, because I, I want to see if I can draw the contrast between your ideas and, and women who think of themselves as units of economic production and their liberation can come through their wallet rather than the ability to feel like love. I've heard about this thing, love, but that's how women think. They don't know the thing that way, but that's how they think. <laughs> for those who are just listening, her yeah, face just I, fell. I mean, I'm just thinking like it's, let's just start out by saying, I mean, I definitely, and I've been told over and over, so I guess I'll take them at their word. I'm not the average person. I'm definitely a little different. I am. I mean, I have to sort of accept that. Sure. Um, and that has its negatives too, because there are times where I'm, you know, if you're not following the crowd, then you're on your own, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I believe it all has to do with the mother that I had 
who was, like I said, very typical of today, but not for her day. So I got this message early on that most people didn't as a result of that. So my mom mm -hmm. went to um, Washington, Washington University in St. Louis for her bachelor's, and then she got her MBA at Radcliffe, which was the sister school to mm -hmm. Harvard. She was born in 1930, so this would have been in around 1950, I guess between 19... Um, you know, 48 and 52, 53, something like that. And then she worked in New York and uh, DC and then ultimately came back to St. Louis, which is where we live. And um, she was a stockbroker. Oh, wow. And she was in that world for 15 years before she quit to stay home with my sister and me when we were five and three. Mm -hmm. Okay. So she was living a life that is, as I say, very typical of today, but unheard of in her day. So mm, she and was a stockbroker, which is a pretty masculine profession. Very. Even today. I mean, she was yeah. written up in the papers, one of three women, you know, wow. in, the, in the state or whatever in the area, um, that kind of thing. And so, and just even looking back at it now, it just looks so, it must, somebody else just be like, wow, that's so bizarre looking. Mm -hmm. um, to me, it was just normal. It was just, right. that was my life. That was, that was, that was my oh, mom. Oh, interesting. Okay. I, so I see where you're going. She, so she tried to do both simultaneously being utterly clueless that you can't be doing that and having small children. It's all just going to like fall into place, especially back in the day when men definitely just went to work, which they right. legitimately did. Like that was the extent of the expectation was that they worked. Mm -hmm. um, and brought home the money. And that was pretty much it. And that was how my dad was. I don't mean they were never helpful at home, but just that there wasn't an expectation that they take on a second shift the way it is today. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm mm -hmm. saying. Mm -hmm. But of course, you're going to take on a second shift if you're a woman, for sure, because you had those babies um, and you're different from men. Um, so she did that until she couldn't take it anymore. And it was pretty bad in those early years. And I, I found diaries and she was, it was bad. So anyway, she quit and never went back. And I, and then she grew up. I mean, she raised me. I heard things growing up like, you can't have it all. You can't do both of these things at the same time. Your children need you. I wish I stayed home. I made a mistake. Blah, blah, blah. Mm, these are the, wow. This is what was drilled into me my whole life. If I came up with a career choice, it was, okay, that's going to be perfect because here's what you can do. You're going to be at school when your kids are at school. Then you can be home when they're home. That was from mm -hmm. both my parents. Like everything was about figuring it all out based on this experience that they had had that did not work. Mm -hmm. So in fairness to my contemporaries, if they had housewives as mothers, which most of them did, and they never tried it, they might've thought there was another way of doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I knew there wasn't because the kids get the fallout of that and the moms are unhappy and the marriages start to fall away and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, so that I believe is why I'm different from most of my contemporaries with respect to that subject of mm -hmm. the money career, the work family, all that stuff. Because you got a, you got a healthy upbringing, but sort of backwards, you know, your parents had discovered firsthand what didn't work and were like, don't ever do that. <laughs> right. <laughs> which is, mostly which is my mom, mostly for my mom. Yeah. My okay. Dad, I mean, my dad my dad would chime in about how to balance those things later. That's true. But yeah, mostly from my mom. She was the one telling me your kids are very, very babies need you. They're demanding. Uh, you, you there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. All that stuff. You just stuff. You just mm -hmm. don't hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause she had made the mistake of trying something else. Right. And discovered that that just doesn't work. No. Don't do this. Suzanne. No. 
and she didn't, there was no daycare back then for middle class. I mean, she, she would never have done day, daycare. So she had a, um, I guess you'd call her a nanny. Mm-hmm. Which would have uh, been the only option, right? Uh, yeah. Yep. And so, yeah, I think that's so, why I'm different for lack of a better word, I guess. So while you're in college and you're around, you know, many of your, in I would Boston, imagine. I might add. Not in, not in some local Midwestern town. Yeah. In oh, Boston. wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So while you're surrounded by what must be some pretty radical feminist contemporaries. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh how was that? Now, how I was, was that, that conservative girl from the Midwest. All my friends were from the tri-state area, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. It was interesting. It was interesting. <laughs> okay. I was I definitely it. the oddball. And uh, I mean, I didn't care. I, I don't care. Um, you have the I courage was. to be disliked. Yeah, ex- there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't bother me at all, but it was definitely a thing for sure. And, you know, I just kind of laugh about it now because in that respect, just with respect to work and family, that conversation, it worked out beautifully. I mean, I love it. I love my life. I don't have any okay. regrets. There's never been any guilt. I've never had stress where, oh my God, I got to do this. I got to do that. I could all, cause I could always say no. <sighs> Because all the work that I ever did do, I did around, I always worked part-time and I always did it around my, I mean, my focus was my kids, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. My, my home life. I'm happier. I'm happy. I'm happy there. And my stuff I've done outside of that has been something that I do in my off hours instead of, instead of watching TV or playing tennis or doing something else. That's what I do. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, that's. Can we go back to your college days real quick? I have yeah. some I have some questions because as I'm imagining, like I don't know that conservative viewpoints are tolerated within universities at all now. Meaning it's it's probably a hundred percent homogenous, you know. Versus <clears throat> back then, you could probably have dissenting views. You could, but what? Okay, so what, what was that like though? Were they laughing at you? Like was it casual? Like ah, oh, that's Suzanne. She's just crazy or whatever. Because now they're pulling down statues and protesting. Yeah, no, there wasn't any of that. There wasn't okay. any of that. Um, it was definitely, it was more like, it wasn't, you're crazy. It was, <laughs> what? Like, it's almost like you'd said, <laughs> I don't know, like, I don't know. I'm just, I, something so outlandish that they've just never heard before. What do you oh, mean? Oh, wow. What do you mean? They couldn't get their head around it. Um, it's so weird because that was their mother's lives. Like it's not that far removed from them. I know. I have to think about my closest friends, but um, yeah, it was their mother's lives. They, but remember they're raised to not live their mother's lives. That's true. And to, and it's, they had an obligation to have a different kind of life because that yes. life was bad. Yes. That's what they're raised with. I wasn't raised with, you need to have this other life because it's bad to be at home with children or it's bad to be a mom or it's oppressive. Like I would never have gotten that message from my mother or my father mm-hmm. or anybody in my family. And they were all highly educated women who pursued careers throughout their mm-hmm. lives at some point, you know, like they were not, it was not an either or that's why I'm always saying like, there's this whole other middle ground people. You know? mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be this or that. Yes. Well, because the, they had the indoctrination come in. Like, this is something I've been trying to unpack with my friends. Like, gosh, what happened in that generation? Because it was like there was one break in the chain and the break, the, the consequences of the break have been catastrophic. My friend Jonathan yesterday said the, the boomers traded in ancestral wisdom for institutional knowledge. I Meaning like there's all this human 100%. wisdom. That, 
yeah, it was like, it blew me away. I'm like, dude, you got to tweet that. Do something that with that because it's brilliant. Because that's what happened is that there was that yeah. one generation that decided that's to throw away all this wisdom and like, mm-hmm. no, we're going to trust, we're going to what? Trust the experts. We're going to trust the professors. We're going to trust the science. We're going to trust the uh. philosophers. Threw away thousands of generations of, of, of wisdom. And now look, and now look we, where we are. And so we were trying to unpack together how, how that happened. Well, the 1960s. You know, yes. it was a gradual, yeah, gradual thing. Now that's another thing I didn't mention about my parents. They were raised in, uh, my dad was born in 1922, my mom in 1930. They were from the greatest generation. So the values mm-hmm. that I, and I'm an Xer. So I had old, and see, she didn't end mm. up having me until she was 38 because of her. Oh, career. wow. Oh yeah. Well, okay, I was going to, I was doing the math on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the values I was raised with were very much the greatest generation, not boomer values, not mm-hmm. feminist, uh, liberation values at all. Um, mm-hmm. but they lived quote unquote feminist lives. You know, they had, they all had master's degrees. They all worked, but they mm-hmm. also embraced marriage and motherhood and they stayed married for decades and they didn't say anything negative about men, like men suck or like there was none of that. Mm-hmm. The women that, the women that you knew around you or you mean your parents? Yeah, my mother, or- my, my, all the women, my cousins, my aunt, my, I mean, everybody in my, all the women in my family, my grandmother, I mean, nobody, nobody, uh, nobody had a feminist mind, but they just yeah. did what they wanted. So there was there no like they didn't think there were any limits on anything, but they mm-hmm. embraced family, they embraced mm-hmm. motherhood, they embraced being a wife. They would never have dissed those roles. I guess is what I'm saying. They mm-hmm. did those roles, and they happened to also get educated and work at different parts in their life. Got it. So I see what you mean now about like the shades of gray. Like no, you can you can kind of do all these things. You just can't do them all at once. Right there, right okay. there. So. You, you, you must have seen this. I'm praying that you have. Is it possible to unplug the feminist mind? Because I, I love that you called it the feminist mind because it, it is a mind. It's a totality. You know, it's, mm-hmm. not just, it's not just a set of beliefs that ride along no. the top no. like I have this preference no. or not. Mm-hmm. It, it's, the full, it's the full woman's being. It's, it, is a, it is a separate mind. Can it be unplugged? Please tell, me, I, please tell, tell me the truth, but please tell me that the truth is that it can be. No is an okay answer. No, I'll tell you exactly what I've seen. The people who are 150% ready to let go of it, Mm -hmm. as a whole, not always, but majority, like almost for certain, are like 35 plus. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't 20-something. Listen, I hear from countless 20-somethings who are like, Holy crap. How do I, I want, this is, I believe you. I agree with you. I don't understand this. I don't want this. How do I find the men who like non-feminist women? So they're out there for sure. Mm-hmm. I just, but they're, they're the smaller percentage of their group of the 20 something group. Whereas the older women are like so ready for a different life and a different yeah. world. And it makes me sad because I think, you know, I've had this conversation with my husband a bunch of times. It's like, how do I win? Because if they're over 35, there's all these mistakes that have been made, right? And it's really hard mm. to kind of undo it. And although I'm not a pessimist and I believe anybody can change your life at any time, but it's a lot harder to do some of the things that I'm encouraging when you're mm. 35, 40, than you know, it's with your 25, 30. But then when you're young, you're not ready to hear it yet. But then when you're older, you are, but it's going to often be yeah. too late. So it's very difficult. And, um, Sometimes I think just a lot more time needs to pass so that the mm-hmm. next generation can see there's got to be another way. Mm-hmm. 
which there is. Thank you very much. There is. It's just so few people see it or want to yeah. see it. And and then there's the whole issue of money, which when you've spent your whole life, like you said, going that route where that's the focus, you end up making decisions based on money reasons. Well, mm. Like a really obvious one is people are buying houses based on two incomes yeah. before they have children under the assumption that you're always going to be in the workforce, not realizing you're locking yourself in. So three years down the road, you're like, shit, you have a baby and you're like, oh my God, oh my God, I want to be with my, oh, I can't, I got to go make money. Yeah. And at that point, well, you shouldn't have bought the house based on two incomes. There's a way to do that differently before you get into that boat. Yep. That's an example. The subject of men and jewelry is tricky. As my friend and style coach Tanner Guzzi might say, it's best to wear pieces that have personal meaning to you rather than wearing an accessory just to wear it. But how can a man find a meaningful piece in a sea of cookie-cutter Chinese garbage? The answer is hand craftsmanship and one-of-a-kind wearable works of art made right here in America. Which brings me to our sponsor, Deepwell Designs. The proprietor Thomas William handcrafts silver and precious stone pieces to meet your specifications. He's been making them for over 20 years, having learned lapidary and silversmith from his grandfather as a boy. And the results are spectacular. His pieces sing with style, quality, and care. On his website, you can see rings, necklaces, bracelets, cuffs, pendants, belt buckles, and more, and pieces for both men and women. He even just made me a silver Christian cross necklace, which arrived the other day and looks amazing. He banged it out literally in about a day. We exchanged DMs with sample photos, and he nailed exactly what I wanted. And I'm not easy to shop for. I'm picky about who I choose as sponsors for my podcast. They must be high integrity, talented, one of a kind, and different from the typical type of podcast sponsors. And Thomas meets all my requirements, which is why I'm thrilled to introduce him to you today. I'd say more, but rather than telling, I'd prefer to show you what I mean. So visit deepwelldesigns.com or head to Instagram at deepwelldesigns00 and use the code RENOFMEN for 15% off any piece including custom orders. If you don't see anything you like, just message, and I bet Thomas can make it for you. Once again, that's deepwelldesigns.com or deepwelldesigns00 on Instagram, and use the code RENOFMEN for 15% off. As men, I believe it's important to support our fellow creators, so I hope you'll take a minute to help a talented one out and look great in the process. Thanks so much, and let's get back to the podcast with Suzanne Venker. No, I, I have a couple friends. Well, I haven't talked to them in a while, but they lived in San Francisco and they bought a house in San Francisco, which I don't know why they did that, but they did. And, you know, you can't own a house in San Francisco without being two incomes. Of course and not. They've had, right. They've had two kids, mm-hmm. two boys. And I think she went back to work within like six weeks of like, of, you know, and it's so that they could, so they could do their thing. And, and uh, you know, the, their sons have been raised by a nanny and it's like, like you've, missed your entire your children's lives like yep. for for what for, for what? a house like for what and i challenged actually i remember back in the day like i challenged them on this like you know um, like my, my buddy um i'll call him tom it's not his real name um but you know um i will i challenge him like well why are you buying this house like 
you you know the math like oh we want to have some place for our parents to stay like like well yeah stay like yeah why here like why are you locking yourself into this and it just seemed like it was like fait accompli like they were they had decided on this track somewhere in their mind that they must have house in San Francisco and that has some significance or some symbolism to it so they lock themselves into this and then they're they're set like oh this house is our retirement he also he had also said I'm like you're making this enormous series of cascading disastrous mistakes that will affect so much for why and that's a great example it's like people don't see that once you commit to a two-income house your wife can no longer stay home with her her children your children even if she wants to what are you going to do with that and and people don't even they don't even see it i don't get it and you know why they don't goes back to what we were saying before because people lack the courage Mm. to do exactly what you just said because in order to say it you're not going to be liked you're going to yeah. be saying something wrong, mm-hmm. but your silence, you're part of the problem in my book because yeah. your lack of courage to say to your, and I think you should say this as a parent, if it was a 25 year old, 35 year old kid of mine who I'm, my kids are not going to do this. They will not do that because they've been raised to be too smart for that. But if they were, I would stop and say, Hey, I don't want to get involved in your financial affairs, you know, but I need to tell you this. And then mm-hmm. you don't know how you're going to feel. You're closing that option off. I'm not telling you you're going to be doing, wanting to do that, but you don't even mm-hmm. have the option if you do this. Yeah. No one will say that because you just don't say that because everyone's going to be working always at all times, 100% of the time. And they're, you're, you're, the thought that you wouldn't do that would, would be unheard of. Yeah. But you can't make that case anymore either because after 2020, it's like, no, everything is not going to stay the same and, and continue getting better for all time. That's always been the thing. It's like housing prices will always go up. Everything will always get better. It's like, no, things got miserably shit worse in 2020 and they're barely recovering now. Mm-hmm. So that puts the lie to that entire worldview. And, and yet, and we were talking about this before we got up, before we started recording, like the whole masks thing and that whole thing that gets right back to the courage to be disliked. It's like, this is obviously not working. It's been two years. Why are you still doing this? Because they lack the courage to be disliked. Everything in- out of that. I mean, it really wow. does. It's fascinating. Fascinating. Well, so like, have you walked any women through? Okay. So I understand that women over the age of 35 are having, I saw, I saw this described as a, a, a deathbed conversion. <laughs> the way that I, but, but, but what they actually, with this, this article or whatever I was reading, I actually called it, maybe it was a meme, said that women at 30 or ha- women at 30 are having a deathbed <laughs> conversion. Yeah, you know what I mean? I've and seen the, it up close. Yeah. Yeah. So like, so. I mean, I guess that the women at that age are really ready to do it. Like, what do you, how do you, how do you, I mean, I guess, how do you even do that? I mean, they're ready to unplug themselves, but like, is it painful? Are they angry? Do they throw things? Do they hate their mothers? Do they want to burn their televisions? Cause that's how I would feel. It's like the, the, the catastrophic scale of the lie that they'd internalized into their body Thank must you. be en- enraging. Thank you. It's enraged. I think it's more enraging to me. They, <laughs> yeah. It's not my mother that did it, you know, but I, I feel through the screen that they're they haven't hit the mad stage yet when they talk to me. They're at the awakening where they are realizing the mm. scope of what you just said. Mm-hmm. They're not mad yet. They're like, why? What? What just happened? You know, and it takes months yeah. to sort of absorb this. I don't, I don't 
know if they went into anger stage later. It depends on how quickly they could recoup, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like I, they go into fast action um, at that point and run there around that age. And, and that's one of the reasons why I make an argument for earlier marriage right? for women. Not early marriage, but earlier. So statistically speaking, you are far more likely to get divorced if you get married under 25 um, mm-hmm. than you are at 25. So I, 25 is an ideal age, but not, it's not like everyone's going to be able to do the exact ideal. I'm just giving the stats. Sure. Um, and it doesn't mean that if you're not 25 yet, that you're doomed. It's, I'm just, those are just the numbers. <laughs> but, <laughs> Let's not get absolutist now. No, Let's not like, at all. You know, die right at 25. No, not at all. Not at <laughs> all. Um, but there is something that happens at 30 to just about all women. Yeah. And when you start to try to look for a husband at that age, you're not going to be looking in the same way that you are at 25 or 22, 23, 24, because you cannot not think about the baby you so desperately want. And that is yeah. going to get in the way of your choice, of your ability to choose. That's probably the number one reason for me to say earlier marriage is better because mm-hmm. you want to remove that clock that you're feeling and yet hurry up and get it over with and figure mm-hmm. it out from the equation when you're deciding who to marry. It's the most important decision you're ever going to make. And you need mm-hmm. to make it with clarity without anything like that in your way. And most people today are not doing that. And yeah. they're, they're marrying people because they want a baby. Bottom line, mm-hmm. 10 years later, they're like, who did I marry? What did I do this yeah. for? Some, some of them don't even look at whether or not these men are employed, you know, or how, how, or they're employed, but they're not, um, you know, they, they're taking a man who's not yet a man who hasn't found mm-hmm. his way yep. and hoping that that will work itself out because they just want a baby. Yep. Yep. And, and you know, what really, the, the, what really sucks about this is that women are blinded by the need to have children. Mm-hmm. That's right? what I mean. Right. And, mm-hmm. and then they choose substandard men mm-hmm. and then guess whose fault it becomes. It's the man's, man's. fault. Mm-hmm. It's the man's fault. Bingo. And so it just reinforces all the all the programming. It's like, well, you married 100%. him. A hundred percent. Can I can I can I tell a story real mm-hmm. quick? Okay. So I took a fiction writing, I took a memoir writing class through a New York uh, writing school, which I won't name. And uh, you know, memoirs are like you're supposed to be telling your kind of life story in a way. And so this woman was telling the story of um it was essentially she's married to a man who was a narcissist and she was escaping from the um from the abusive marriage uh, with the, with the narcissist the story picks up in the middle when they're married and they're sitting on the couch and he makes some comment some some you know completely insensitive comment about her looks or something like that and the whole the whole thing is framed in this way of like he's oppressing her and it's terrible and she needs to get away from the marriage and so this was submitted to the class for feedback <laughs> and and me you know reading all this stuff i read this i'm like well it might help me as a reader to know like how did you marry this guy like he met him he courted you you were engaged you got married like how did you get through that whole process <laughs> it might you know it might lend some context that makes your eventual escape more meaningful uh-huh. to understand how you got into this uh-huh. marriage cuz uh-huh. you married him <laughs> i got in so much trouble <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure you did 
I got in so much trouble that the whole class erupted. <laughs> this was all online. It was all in text. It wasn't like on Zoom okay. or anything. People furious at my comments. The teacher, the, the teacher said, had been on vacation. She said she had to go to the administration because they'd never encountered anything like that before, and they were trying to figure out what to do about me. Go, Will. The courage would be disliked. There you go. Oh, man. Courage. Oh, I mean, it's like, it seems like the most obvious question. It's like, you married him. Like, no one slammed the ring on your finger. I mean, they literally have never heard it's being asked anything like that. It's just, it just blows them away. That's called mm-hmm. taking a responsibility for my part of the equation. And we just don't do that. Mm-hmm, Which, mm-hmm. I have a question for you now. I don't want to forget. What separates a, a guy today who checks out, you know, like the MGTOW, I guess, or like, just says I'm done with women versus the ones who see what's happening, but stay in the game and marry any, like, like they don't hold out for the woman who questions things and is not acculturated, mm-hmm. but they just do they, cause men don't want babies as bad as women generally. I mean, they want family, it's not, it's not a biological urge. In yeah, the it's not way. like, like I think you'll find more men who would be okay with not having children than you would find women who are okay not having children, I think. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's right. Not to say that yeah. men don't want children, but just, I think you could talk them into it more, I guess, than a woman. I don't know. But yeah, what, I know what you mean. Is it just the desire to have a family that would make a man in this environment I know that a whole bunch of them are just, hmm. they've bought into the whole feminist thing. So they think it's great. Yeah. yeah. So there's that group. But I mean, the ones who see what's happening and they, do they, I don't know. They just wait it out for a woman who's, who gets it. Yeah. The, the, I think, um, I think the answer to that question is, is heart. I think it's really, and I'm going to do an email newsletter about this, but for those listening, get a preview. I think that there's the word heart is when it applies to men, there's two sides to it. The first thing is like a man needs to have heart. Generally, that's what we mean, like emotional accessibility and, and vulnerability, like, like some amount of emotion. But there's another kind of heart, which is like the heart of a lion, which is not emotional vulnerability. It's like courage, right? And so, and so those two aspects of having heart meet. And I think it's that aspect of men, like whether they have heart, where they have emotional accessibility, whether they want to love and feel loved, and then they have courage to confront the dating market in order to, in order to um, have some amount of emotional fulfillment. And so you have to have both. You have to be courageous to step out there and be like, and, and even see the disaster, you know, the wreckage, but because, because you have so much love to give. And I think that's the difference between the MGTOWs and, and men who stay in it because the MGTOWs, I think, have just decided, you know, I don't, I don't need love and I don't have love to give and it's not important to me as a man or as a person, so I'm just going to go do my own thing. Then that, I think that those men don't have heart because I think all men deep down, whether they would articulate or not, but I think they know this, they want, they want to be loved. They want to know what it's like to be loved. They were little boys at some point. They were loved by their mothers and their fathers and their siblings and presumably their relatives. And they remember that feeling. And as we grow up as men, we have to harden ourselves against the world and kind of become the warrior, right? That's part to succeed. That's what we have. But inside, we still have the feeling of wanting to be loved and knowing what that's like and wanting to get back to that and having love to give of ourselves. And I think that's what drives more so than having kids. Kids are an expression of that. But more so than having kids, I think that's what keeps men in the game is that they know that about themselves 
even though they couldn't articulate it. And what separates the one who waits out for the woman who doesn't fall for the culture stuff versus the one who just takes what they can get once they're in the game or not takes what they can get, but like after the eighth, 10th, 12th date, 20th, 25th date, they're like, well, they're all the same. So I'll just pick one. Yeah. I Versus, mean, you know, holding out for the, for the, for the gem. Yeah. Faith. That's, I can, I can say that for myself. It's just faith, you know, plenty of experiences encountering the feminist disaster scape that is dating for, for men today. And, uh, you know, I just have, I have faith oh. that, you know what I have faith in actually, I have faith that someone will eventually meet me someday and will be like, how are you single? Yeah. You, someone will yeah. figure it yeah. out. It's that's it's on the surface. It's all right there. I'm sure. So, there's they probably be one. are. Right, right. Yeah, you'd be surprised. So <laughs> I think I think that someone someone will crack the code. Someone will someone will figure it out. Someone will decide that um that whatever it is that would that that be a life with uh, and the, maybe this is me being ton- too vulnerable, but I'll say it anyway. That a life with me is worth whatever programming that they have to get rid of in yeah. themselves. That that'll be worth it. And they'll and and They'll be right. And let's let's talk about the obvious flip side of this. How old are you? I'm gonna. I turned 44 in about two weeks. Now the harsh reality is, a woman can't be that way at your age, or even no. She can't. She doesn't have that luxury. That's right. So right off the bat, you know, men and women talk about not equal. We are not equal because that we that cannot be. That that can't be. Everything you just said at your age cannot be for a woman. Cannot be for a woman. Mm-hmm. You can Not marry. If she wants you, can, kids. you can marry someone fifteen years younger if you want. So that's, that's just right. the way it is. I mean, that's yeah. the way it is. Yeah. Well, you know the difference. Then there's a huge difference around the age of thirty-five because when I was when I turned thirty-five as a man, that was when. That was when I started. That was when my body switched on. Like I must start preparing for family. Like must <laughs> right. you know? Well, sure. It was like. The, yeah, that was my male biological yeah. clock switching on. Like, must start yeah, right, feathering sure. nest, women coming, <laughs> right? But versus for a woman, it's like the alarm bells are going off. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, like mm-hmm. it's the bottom of the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. right? Bottom of the fourth quarter. So it's very different. They're different. Men and women are different. Congratulations. You know, we're all canceled. Crazy. Yeah. So you so you're gonna transition now from from coaching into into doing something a little different. Yeah. So, so a, I, a step off the battlefield. Yeah, I'm stepping off well the battlefield from that end, doing the one on one. Because the long term marriage coaching is pretty intense. I mean, they can text me in between sessions. We're really in, you know, we're all in. And mm-hmm. it goes on for months and I'm I'm in your marriage, you know. Um <laughs> so so I've Take a sabbatical from that, although I do still offer single session options. I have a few on there every week as a, as a thing for a one-hour, one-off kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. But my focus is these two um, online courses that I'm putting together. One is for singles and one is for married couples. And it's essentially taking what I did in coaching, but making it accessible to everybody to go it's like taking the content and putting it in the form of a course and a course just has a combination of videos from me and material written material pdfs it's like a whole thing there's just a whole bunch of pieces to it that you buy as a package and then you download and do on your own Mm -hmm. um so it's like being coached by me but not live 
Mm-hmm. You've bought it in advance and you're putting the course into action. And then you can still get with me after afterward if you still need that. But so it's 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 a way of doing the same thing in a different form. But at any rate, it's taking a lot of time and energy to 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 do and to put together. And I just couldn't do that with the long-term coaching. And I've also now taken a break from the podcast. I just announced mm-hmm. that this past week. So I had to remove things off my plate if I want to really get serious about getting these done. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm doing. A little shift. What will the what will the goal of the course the course or the courses be? Like what's the what's the desired end, end outcome? Well, so the the desired outcome for the singles is it's called um well the course is called the first 3 dates. And oh, the wow. purpose of this is to know within 3 dates whether you should waste your time on somebody or not. So for both men and women or this just for particular women? course is just for women. Okay. This particular one, it's get in or get out. Here's what you look for. Don't waste time. You don't have time to waste. You don't want to waste time. You want to get married. This is for people who want to get married, not people who are just thinking about this is marriage minded. The goal is to get married. How do I weed out right away and know what to look for and make this happen? Mm -hmm. So that's for single women. And then the other course is much broader and much more extensive. And that's where the coaching part comes in. And it's called Total Total Marriage Makeover. And mm. that one is for, the subtitle is um, A Foolproof Guide for Frustrated Husbands and Wives. So that's a, that's a couple's thing. It's a couple's thing. That's mm-hmm. for men and for women. It's basically, men, here's what you need to do on your end. Women, here's what you need to do on your end. Just worry about yourself. Don't worry about the other person. Here's your Here's your stuff. Get going. That's kind of the idea. So- it's a little different. Same idea, just different approach. Can you give like a sneak peek about some of the things that the couples will be couples will be doing in that course? Well, it's I'm not curious like, myself. You know, it's not unlike a lot of um, you know what I've been doing for the past several years. So, um, sure, men like men are going to get um, guidance, and it's more than just the guidance and the information. Although there is that, but also the motivation right? You, mm-hmm. Having someone in your corner who's talking to you through the screen, who's explaining why and how this works and giving you examples from my own past coaching clients. Um, so men would learn things like taking initiative, learning how to say no to your woman, um, mm-hmm. um, acting, don't talk, act, you know, all the things that women respond to positively and want from you that are not natural for you for mm-hmm. A, B, C, D reason. You didn't have a dad. Nobody told you. Your parents are never showed you or modeled it or, you know, like, I don't know why she's acting this way and how do I get her to not be this way? How can I get her to respect me more? So it's really honed in on respect, which is what men want, husbands want, mm-hmm. most of all. And then for women, you know, it's about being feminine, basically, and how to um, how to bring out the best in a man. So it's it's... It's just looking at yourself and changing yourself, each person, mm. you know, not worrying about the other. And then mm. they're both doing it in the same marriage. Ta-da! That's the idea. <laughs> Does, I mean, and you, you've probably seen some of this, you know, some of this magic in action where it's just like the light goes off where people are like, oh my gosh, I've been acting backwards the whole time. Yes, but I've been too honed in on the women. Okay. And in so thinking, like I said at the beginning, thinking men should be coached by men and women by women. 
But now I'm sort of changing my tune on that. And I feel like, because I get a lot of men who reach out to me, like, I love your stuff on YouTube. Can you help me with ABCDE? So that's why I decided to do this course for both men and women. And if I get, so instead of just the women, because I get a lot of women who'd be like, I try this, but he's still not ABCD, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, and it should work ideally unless your man is really, really struggling in certain areas personally, which a lot of men are, let's face it. So I thought, oh, I'll just combine this so that he's doing something simultaneously and she's doing something. And if they're both changing themselves, it should be far faster than it would be if one, although I still argue that all it takes is one person to change and the other person will respond to that. I still, I still hold by that, but I do Mm -hmm. think it'll be twice as fast if both people are doing it. I agree. I agree. That's interesting. There's also a lot less resentment of feeling like you're the only one changing. Yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, I I don't know that I would talk to, I I don't know that I would think that there'd be too many women that could pull off coaching for men and masculinity, but like, I think you could actually do it like just in in talking to you, because normally I would say that women should coach women and men should coach men, but I can see in what you're doing, especially in marriages that like, that wouldn't be super productive to have the man have a coach and the woman have a coach. Like they need no, one coach, yes, you know, to, to be delivering a holistic method. But like, not every woman could coach a man towards masculinity in integrity. You know what I mean? No, you're not I, te- I think I think what's going to allow it to be advantageous is that I've now spent the last six months. I'm I'm still somewhat new to YouTube. It mm. says I've been there since 2017, but I didn't do anything for years. So it's really only been like six months, maybe mm. a year. I don't even know. I'm losing track of the time there's a lot of stuff on there where men can hear from me. Like the mm-hmm. one that sits at the top is six things women need to know about men and men yep. love that. So they'll see me, they see what I stand for. They see who I am and they, they trust me. And so I think that having that up there lends itself well to the course then for that alone. Cause they already know who I am. Cause a lot of people, you know, a lot of men get dragged into therapy and the women mm-hmm. are first of all, really feminist minded and very much side with the women. So there's that. Not yep. all of them, but a lot of them do. Um, and 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 men don't feel heard in that space. And no. I'm not on a side. I'm really genuinely not on a side because I'm not a feminist-minded person. I don't have that mind. Yes. I mean, I I hear that as, yes, you're not on a side. But of course, a feminist will say, will hear that and say like, no, you're very clearly on the side. You're on the bad side. But like, you know, I know what you mean because there are so many men who do who who are forced into couples counseling or therapy or whatever. And if the therapist has an anti-male bias, which most therapists do, that's a trap for men. That's a terrible, terrible, terrible trap, trap for, men. for men. Yeah. Because then everything becomes his fault mm-hmm. and, and it shows up in all these terrible ways where it's like, does, does, does my partner here have anything to do with this? Or is this just me because I'm shit? Like, and men, men will take men. This is, this is what men do. They will take that. In order to preserve the marriage, so like, okay, fine, yes. I will take on yes. all the shame and carry yes. everything like a don- yep. like a donkey. I've had to That's tell who- husbands what is okay and not okay to accept. You know, and most like therapists don't really do that. They'll happily tell that to the woman. Don't take this from no man, but they're right. not going to say to a man, you know, she shouldn't be talking to you like that. That's right. Wouldn't that be lovely? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you find that as you've been putting together this co- this this coach, is there like one overarching problem in relationships that the course is designed to address, or that your work in general kind of addresses? Like, like is is there is it? I know there's no silver bullets, but is like is there is there something that ties it all together? That you find? 
just the just the what just what we said at the opening that the that the woman's walking around in her masculine and the man is letting it oh. happen <laughs> and stepping back and it's and they're not seeing she's not seeing that she's rejecting the very thing that's going to make her marriage come alive and he doesn't see that he's rejecting the very thing that's going to make his marriage come alive. And those things are the exact opposite of what the culture tells them to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Men are told to be ball busters and men are told to be more feminine and they're listening and they're trying it out in their relationships and it's not working Mm -hmm. because it's anti-nature. It goes against what your body and mind wants to do. And if you just relax into what you've been given and don't, question it and try to change it and fight it, then you will find harmony. Have you ever encountered some of like the new age goddess types, you know, who like they're, they're, they're feminine, but they use their femininity to control men. Like it's not a surrendering Mm -hmm. femininity. It's, have you ever encountered Mm -hmm. that? Okay. No. Okay. Maybe that's a, I don't know. Yeah. So I mean like the new age world is, has these, all these inverted notions about relationships since you have a lot of women stepping into their, they call it like goddess culture, you know, but it's like, it's kind of like boss girl or bad bitch culture, but like in some sort of new age kind of hippie priestess kind of way where it's like, I have had a person or two reach out to me. I think that might've represented that. And I kind of smelled that and didn't, (laughs) what do you didn't think that was for me? Oh, you're like, I I didn't think so. I couldn't quite figure it out, but maybe, maybe I've heard from somebody like that and I, that's what it was, and I didn't know. Yeah, some of the men in my in my sphere are, are encountering lots of men coming from the New Age world who are interested in Christianity and masculinity and stuff because the New Age world is not very masculine at all. So I wonder if you've encountered some of that. So you you also mentioned um, you also mentioned the, like the, the the course for singles, and and so like talk about the the modern dating scene because we've talked about like thirty five plus, but like <sighs> and, and dating apps. I I will not use dating apps anymore. Like. Like online dating is done for me, like for for all kinds of reasons. But it's like people used to meet in person. Like I'm gonna try that one. Was it just horrible? Your whole experience? Was there any a wasteland, a wasteland of bad decisions? Like 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 okay. The three things on Tinder. Last time I was on Tinder, which was about a year ago. It was like it was the smallest incremental step I could take to get back into the dating market after being out for a year. It's like okay, what's the one thing that I know? One one positive step was Tinder. Tinder was a wasteland of single motherhood, obesity, and tattoos, which are all which are all the the, the consequences of no one saying there are, there are consequences to your decisions. That's what that is. Mm-hmm. It's like no one had ever told these girls that there are consequences to your decisions, mm-hmm. and so that's what it, that's what it was. Wow. And the, and then there would be like the one the one real person girl, like oh that's a real that's a real person, and I can't even imagine what her what her, uh, what her message is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I never, I, you know, the singles that I've worked with are never, haven't been of that caliber, I guess. Um, no, that's, yeah. just been regular, you know, regular Joe's or Joanne's, but, um, what did you ask me specifically what they're struggling just with, what they're about the dating scene, yeah, the dating just, apps, like, yeah, yeah. So the overarching glaring problem to me, which is so solvable, are two things. Stop having sex so quickly with these people. That's number one. Uh-huh. Hello, this is not rocket science. Well, Seems pretty obvious. What? Seems pretty obvious, Seems right? Seems pretty really no, obvious. To like, me, it does, but not to other on. people. 
That's um, the other unquestionable thing. And stop living with people to whom you're not Oof. married or engaged. This is two, these are two very simple tactics that will make a world of difference in your ability to find someone to marry and fast. Stop mm-hmm. sleeping with them. So, so like the last person, not the last person, but an overarching, that's my message when a person works with me, by the way, and some people can accept it and some people can't. Um, but the last one who did was very serious and put everything into action right away and was married and has now has a baby a year later. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, she was dating someone and she would not have sex with them. And this was new for her. She was working with me at the time and he's like, Oh, okay. You know, like he never heard that before, but okay, I guess I'll stick around or whatever. And then um, she goes out with him again because he appeared to be okay with that. But then he starts to ask if they have, can have other kinds of sex. So he's like, it's like asking for everything other than traditional, put it in sex. And she's like, um, no, I mean like, yeah, you can, I'm not saying you can't have any, um, physical interaction with someone that you're dating. Um, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you don't get naked. Just don't get naked. Bottom line. Um, and, and, and so she, by the third date, he realized she was serious. <laughs> mm-hmm. It took all that time. And what do you know? She didn't hear from him again. So, so, you know, some people will say to me, why, what? Well, then they just go to get it from someone else. Great. Yeah, that's See the point. Ya. Sayonara. Next. I mean, you're, this is a process, right? It's allowing you to not waste time. If you had done that, mm. you would have strung this out. He would have happily had sex for as long as you'd let him. Knowing yeah. full well, he's not marriage minded. And you would have wasted all those months. Mm. <sighs> it's so exhausting. So they put it into action. They realized, wow, this, this really works. Anyway, someone else came along, obviously, completely different caliber of a person, was genuinely responsive when she said, I don't want to have sex. I want to get married. This is what I'm, I'm in it to get married. And that's the other thing that this course is going to teach. Stop being afraid to not say why you're there and what you're looking for. And mm. I'm not saying on the first date. Sure. And maybe not even the second, but within the first couple, by the third day, you should be very clear on where this person's been and where they're going. Cause what are you doing? If you're not having sex, guess what you're doing? Talking, you're talking, <laughs> you're communicating. Had, you're that was a guess. Getting to know each other, right? Intercourse, other kinds of intercourse. I mean, imagine that like you're actually bonding, <laughs> like the whole purpose of getting to know somebody, right? Yeah. Um, that's what happens when you don't have sex. You're talking for hours and hours and hours. That's, that's what you should be doing. And if by Mm -hmm. date three of all those hours of talking, you don't know where the person is, then something's wrong. Cause you just, Mm. you'll know. And so Mm. the whole point is to, to get on with it and quit dragging this whole dating thing out. And the reason why it's getting dragged out is because women sleep with them right away and they happily live with them without any commitment. You just remove those mm. two things. And I'm not saying that's all the course is. There's a lot more to it than that, but that's <laughs> don't buy the course. I just told you what to do. It's all good. <laughs> click two screens, click, <laughs> click one. <laughs> You're welcome. Check um, please. No, it's deeper than that. It gets into a lot of stuff about your mindset and where you are and what your tr- upbringing was and what you're thinking is about marriage and men and all that. And then there's the rules. There'll be a whole list of rules and what you're going to do on these three days. But, mm-hmm. but those and the second one of those don't, it doesn't even apply. They're not living with them because that, that wouldn't even happen within the first three days. So, but the sex part um, is, is it's, it's non-negotiable. It's non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. Well, you, 
would you, I don't know that a man would move in with a woman he, he's not sleeping with or vice versa. Like it just doesn't make sense. No, like, why would you? That wouldn't happen. Right. Yeah, exactly. So like just taking out that sex, you know, as a, as a given thing is like, is changes everything, changes the whole game. Because by the time you're actually, you know, back in my day, it's not like premarital sex was still in place. It wasn't. But the idea that you would, if you were, if you were sleeping with someone, it was almost always someone you'd been with for months before you were ever doing that. And then you continued to be with them for a year. Like it was a marriage minded focused kind of relationship. Even if they didn't end up getting married for whatever reason, it was very monogamous and very serious Mm -hmm. and very loving and bonded by the time you were doing that. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? That's, that's Mm -hmm. what I mean. Even if you don't end up getting married and that's not what's happening today. Yeah, no, it's, it's sex is just put on the table right away. Mm -hmm. It is the table, Mm -hmm. right? It is the table. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes wonder, I sometimes wonder if, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion that I know about not having sex until marriage but we kind of live in a culture where it's like sexual compatibility is kind of expected. And so, if, you know, but I don't know, our, our parents did, or our grandparents didn't think about things, didn't think about things like that. And so being out on the dating market, it's kind of like, is that as you experience that, like, do people have that expectation? Like, well, we yeah, they know do if we get along. That. They do think that that's a really interesting conversation. Um, for the record, I'm not suggesting that you not have sex before you're married um, just because you're not having sex on the first three dates. but. Mm. Uh, just to be clear, the, the fourth date is the wedding. Well, no, I'm not saying that either. <laughs> but I, actually, oh. in, in one of my books, I said um, there was a chapter titled "Don't Have Sex in the First, Second, or Twentieth Date." But my, but my, obviously, the purpose was not how many dates. I was trying to send a message there to what I just said before. The relationship, the bond, you're, you're all in. You're all in. The love has been established. The bond is there. It's natural to have sex with somebody whom you love. That's very hard not to. Many people do it and more power to you. That's great. But Mm -hmm. chances are, even back in the day, once you were all in and you're committed and monogamous, that's inevitable. Mm. But I do think that's an interesting point. So I don't know how many of our mothers and grandmothers were virgins necessarily before they got married. But if they did sleep with them, and, and the research shows this, they pretty much had only slept with the person they married. Prior to marriage. Yes. Okay. So they really weren't virgins on, on wedding night. I don't think, you know, most of them, but anyway, I'm sure many were, but it is interesting to have that conversation about, do you have to have sex with a person and make sure you're compatible on that front? It's, it doesn't come up very much because nobody does that anymore. Meaning yeah. doesn't, doesn't not do it. So I just think it's really interesting because I think that you would know whether you're compatible sexually throughout the course of your relationship prior to marriage, even if you didn't actually have sex, sex, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. In other words, it's not like, I mean, you're either attracted to someone or you're not, there's not like, okay, I'm attracted to kissing you, but not that, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, one leads to another. It's not like you get halfway in and you're like, you know, this isn't for me. I mean, I'm sure it happens. I'm sure it happens. But I think sexual attraction is either there and automatic between two people or it's not. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I can't think That's- of anybody that I, you know, would start. I don't know. Like, I don't know. That's, I have to think about that. Well, the, the question is, 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 it's, the question is not really the question. The question is more along the lines of like, 
at what stage, given that we, and I think it's important to take really strong stances against sex before, not necessarily marriage, but let's put it yeah, there. Before the like relationship. Sex only in the context of being super bonded. How, you know, but, and with the intention that you're only going to sleep with someone that you're going to marry. Yeah. How far into that process? I love what you said about where our, where our grandmothers and great grandmothers virgins on wedding night. That's a really good question. I never actually thought about it. I just kind of assumed, but not necessarily, right? So like how far into the process to take that, how close to the actual wedding day, you know what I mean? Yeah. Is, is when, 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 when can that happen? That's more the nature of the question, I think. Yeah. And I think that's, I feel like that will be more self-evident if we can accept that sex doesn't belong in a relationship prior to falling in love, I'm not falling in love prior to, um, the established monogamous committed in love relationship, however you want to phrase it. it. If we accepted that sex doesn't come before that, that it comes after uh, that. I love you first. The, I love you. Then the sex, not the sex in the hopes that you're going to hear. And I love you. It's the reverse. (laughs) If we just accepted that I'd be happy because then I feel like when you end up with the person is kind of not that important. Yes. That's my take on it. Now, not everybody, religious people would not agree with that, obviously. Um, that's my take on it. Yes. I'm, I, I I'm that, happy just to have people not sleeping around, period. Just stop it. Just stop yeah. sleeping with people whom you do not have a potential future with. Like that alone yes. would change the whole scene. Not to, to not worry about when you do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Well, because, because you know, uh, a lot of churches, Christianity, a lot and a lot of the, a lot of the men – um, in the, in the sphere, like talk about no more casual sex, no more dating apps. Like you have to, you've got other things you do you as a man should be putting your energy towards. And so the question comes up, like, when is it actually okay to have yeah. sex? And so like, you know, in the, in the, you know, if you're going to be getting married, if you think that this, if you think you have a potential future with yes. this person yes. after having deep bonding, emotional yes. clothes on experiences yes. with them, that would be a safe, like emotionally well, safe, right? Go ahead. To me, it's just. The moment you hear I love you and you've returned it. In my day, that's was kind of a given what it was. Nobody really talked about it that way, but you just you knew sex was gonna come after he said I love you and you said I love you too, or vice versa. Can I recommend something? Yeah. There's a song. Do you know the artist Meatloaf? Yes. You probably have heard it. You know the song Paradise I by the Dash? Paradise. Oh, I love I know what you're gonna say. Oh my god, I love those lyrics. When, yeah. Oh my God. I <laughs> am hysterical when those come on. I sing that at the top of my lungs and I know exactly the lyrics you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. You got it. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what we're talking about. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I'll post, I'll post it. I won't give it away. I'll, I'll, okay. you, have to, you have to listen to the song of the show yep. and really, and really listen to the lyrics. I can't it's a, it's a, right now. Do you love me? <laughs> Will you love me forever? Do you need me? Will you never leave me? Will you take me? Yep. Yeah, I love it. Yes, perfect example. Yes. I can't believe you thought of that. That's so great. Oh, I love that song. I grew up with. I grew up with my mom loved Meatloaf, yeah. so I grew up with that song. That's funny. So it's like once I found and, once I finally got that song, I was like, whoa. And I'm so glad you did bring it up because I want everyone after they watch this to go listen to that song. Really listen to it, and that whole pe- that whole message about that. You know, she doesn't. She won't have sex with him until he commits and says, "I'm going to love you forever." That was the, that was the, what, the 1970s? 
right? Yeah, late 70s, something. Yeah, yeah. That was the norm. It was a given. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew that, that a woman did not sleep with you until you're going to commit and you're all in and you love her. Then mm-hmm. she'll say, okay, but not a moment mm-hmm. before then. And he keeps mm-hmm. trying and trying. No, no, no. That was normal. Yep, yep. I say but, we go then- back to that normal. I agree. And then, and then he says it, I, I won't give away the end of the song. I won't give away the end of the song, the little spo- spoiler free end of the song. Okay. Well, I know that, I know that you're running short on time, but like, I, there was, a, there was a question from, from someone on Instagram that I wanted to pass along to you, which, cause I think it's a really good question. Do you have time for, do you have time for one more? Okay. Um, Sacred Wild Man asks, what have you found men and women struggle to be honest with each other about in relationship? I thought that was a great question. That is a great question. Oh my God. Except my, my, my gut response is too many things, Mm. too many things. Um, for women, some of them, their sexual history. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I'll ask and like some people don't actually know the scope of that. And it seems to me, that's just a logical thing you're talking about when you're getting to know each other, when you know about each other's pasts. So that's one. Um, I feel like they, they're not saying, they're not telling who they really are, what they want and what they need, but they, it's more like they're playing a game. Mm -hmm. They're telling people what they want to hear. They're going through the motions, but they're not getting down and dirty with their communication. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very, there's no vulnerability. So Mm -hmm. if if you're not vulnerable, then you're not honest which goes to his question, which is, what are you not telling? Mm. You have to be vulnerable to be able to tell the truth about everything. Everything should be on the table. There shouldn't be any, I mean, you can always be your own person and keep your own, you know, reasonable secrets or whatever. But I mean, like all the obvious things should be out on the table and they're not, it's not a norm to have it all out. So I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. specific enough to his question, but. Um, yeah, um, they struggle to be honest with each other around the things that they need to be honest with each other. Yeah, about. right. About what they're looking for, about what they want, about what they expect. And like, yeah, like here's one. Here's one for about a, about men. I don't think men are honest at all about what they want their family life to look like. So if they're dating someone, I don't think they have the courage, keep coming back to that word, Mm -hmm. to say, hey, I want to marry somebody who will stay home with the kids Mm -hmm. because I didn't have that and I really wanted a mom at home and here's what's missing in my life because of that and I want my life to look like this. Um, Mm -hmm. Not for 20 years, but like when the kids are little, I would love it if you'd be home with them then go back to work. Don't Just don't go back to work until they're in school. Like just something as simple as a statement like that. They might want that but they're not honest because they'll just take whatever, whatever she wants to do. He has to go along with. Mm-hmm. That would be an example mm-hmm. on his end. And then for her, I would say, yeah, her history, her sexual history. Do you think that men actually want to know that? Because a lot of men that I know we talk about, it's like, no, we don't actually want to know. We feel like we, there are some things we need to know, but like, that's not something you ever want. <laughs> you ever really want to ask that. No, you not don't. today. Yeah. No, but you don't want to find out later that she's still traumatized from it. If it was really extensive. Different. Okay. Yes. And she's yes. bringing that to the table without telling you, you know, at the very least, all you have to do is just, if you're guilt ridden about it or suffering, 
a man will want to take care of you for that and want to mm-hmm. um, see you through that. But mm-hmm. if you're putting up a force field and you're really feeling a lot of shame, it's going to come out in other ways. So you're better off telling him and like throwing at yourself at his mercy, if you will. Like I just mm-hmm. fucked up so bad and I feel like crap about myself. I'm a horrible person or whatever, whatever the true feelings are. And he'll come right in there and scoop you up and tell you how great you are. Mm-hmm. That could bring mm-hmm. you closer. But if you're not saying it, mm-hmm. then you're bringing a lot of trauma in that he doesn't know about. And it's going to come out in your in the bedroom eventually anyway. Yeah, see, that's really interesting because we just talked about, you know, postponing sleeping together and as, as close to marriage as possible, let's say, or at least in the context of commitment. And and that could actually, we talked about sexual compatibility. That's something that a man might actually need to know. Like, you know, as if we're being intimate, is she, is she going to go into some, you know, legitimate, you know, trauma experience and just shut down? Like that would be something that'd be really important to know. How else is, if you're not sleeping together, how else is that going to come out except by in conversation, right? Because you'd learn that sleeping together, but you, you know, potentially, right. but it's got to be spoken. Right. Like with the one I was telling you about who, with the date, with the guy, you know, she said she wasn't gonna have sex with him. You know, she made it clear that she's done that before and she wanted to do Mm -hmm. something different. And the first guy wasn't interested in getting married, so it didn't work. So he's like, see ya, whatever. And the second one was interested in getting married and he was respecting and honoring the fact that she wanted to do things differently going forward. So he knew she'd been with people in the past, but with him, she was putting up the parameter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he didn't, right. men will or won't like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the very least you're honest. So you don't have, I mean, it's going to come out later anyway, in some way, if you don't, that's my mm-hmm. theory about not being honest. I mean, I'm overly honest. I probably say too much. Um, my husband and I are like, I mean, th- there are no secrets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are plenty mm-hmm. of other problems, you know, we're, we're normal like everybody else, but there's no secrets. That's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it's, we like it that way because there's never any, never any, do I need to look at that? Do I need to wonder about that? Did, did she mean that? He mean that? None of that. And it's very liberating, very freeing to just put it out on the table from day one. Now that's just our natures anyway, as personalities, but I, I do think it's a good thing. And, um, I think people struggle with it, but it comes mm-hmm. out anyway. So you might as well just get it out mm-hmm. before is it that, comes out poorly. Is that the direction that you coach people in is to, to a relationship that not that's like yours because every relationship will be different, but that includes some more of that ongoing upfront and ongoing honesty. hundred percent. hundred percent. In fact, I, I did something recently on socials about if you need, if you're scared about looking at your husband or wife's phone, something's wrong. Like mm-hmm. I've never looked at my husband's phone. I mean, if I did as an accident sitting on the table, I know his code, he knows mine. I've never looked at his phone. He could be doing anything on there. I wouldn't know it. He's not, mm-hmm. so I'm not worried about it and vice versa. But if you've got phone issues, then there's a bigger, it's not about the phone. You've got, you've got a bigger problem. There's a trust issue there. And then that's dishonesty because if you're, if you're honest and forthright, there's no need to look at someone's phone. Mm-hmm. But you have to feel that first from the relationship so that it translates to not wanting to look at a phone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to ask a little, I don't know how much, I mean, we're coming up on a couple hours. I don't know how much time you have left. Since you mentioned phones, I'm, I'm curious about the influence of social media and what you do. And if it, I mean, obviously I, would, I imagine it doesn't make things easier. Social media probably only makes things harder, but like, that's the, that's the thing. Like, what are you checking someone's phone for? Like what they're doing with social media, right? It's so bad. I mean, I, it, you know, I feel not guilty is the wrong word, but bad in a way. Cause I, I, I didn't, 
I didn't grow up with it. My relationship wasn't, this is all new really, right? In the last five, mm -hmm. 10 years. Um, and we're too old to get all involved in that kind of social media. So it's really more about our kids at this point. Um, the, I mean, yeah, that's almost a whole episode, honestly, Will, because the, the social okay. media has temptations, comparisons, but basically those two is the temptations that are available to you and the comparisons that are made. And both of those things dramatically harm relationships, needless to say. Mm. Dramatically. And then there's the addiction aspect of it, of you know, scrolling forever instead of having a conversation with your spouse. There's that. Mm -hmm. So that's three right there. I mean, that's a whole... That's a whole conversation. It's bad. Yeah, it's bad. All right. Sounds like we'll have to have a part two then. Yeah. Let's well, thank see. you so Yeah, this is this has been amazing. Thank you so <laughs> much, Suzette. I really appreciate your generosity with your time and your expertise. And I, I just wish you the the best of luck as you head into thank like you. a little sabbatical to produce these courses. And I hope they hope they bless so many people because we need it. And in the meantime, where can people go to find out yeah, more so about I'm you? I'm still available. I'm still around. So SuzanneBanker.com. S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-V-E-N-K-E-R. Everything's pretty much housed there. And I'm active on social media. Um, and um, I have a newsletter. So if you sign up at SuzanneFanker.com, you'll, you'll get mail from me every week that's keeping you up to date as well. So I'm not disappearing, just kind of mm -hmm. pulling back a bit. Um, and then, and same with my podcast. And then it'll, it, it, I did my last one for the time being last week, but it'll come back. So. And maybe this course will be ready in about six months, something like yeah. that. Or I don't, that's my okay. hope. That's my hope. Perfect. Well, maybe that'll be a good chance to talk about social media then. Oh, sounds great. I'll, I'll love talking to you anytime, Will. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.